Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Friday, November 4th, and this is the Eye on College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander with me. The college basketball season tips exactly one week from tonight. It's almost here. Thank God. I'm going to be at the uh, Veterans Classic for the third straight year. Always cool to uh, visit the United States Naval Academy, and I'm confident we will talk about that a little bit next week. But in the meantime, somewhat surprisingly, biggest story in college basketball this week uh, has actually been former college basketball player Ben Simmons, and that's because of the one-and-done documentary about him uh, that is debuting this week. Norland, have you read much about this? Have you heard much about this? The part that's getting the most attention is Ben Simmons in a scene calling the NCAA, quote, really effed up. Uh, does Ben Simmons have a point? Is the NCAA really effed up? You answer, Norlander. Well, haven't people been saying the NCAA is really effed <laughs> I know, up right? <laughs> for literally decades? Ben Simmons isn't exactly mining new ore here. But listen, because he's saying what he's saying, because Simmons had such a interesting somewhat polarizing one and done kind of experience and career it's it's rightfully getting a lot of play uh for those that are listening to this podcast on friday afternoon shortly after we publish it this is a a documentary that will air on showtime on friday night at nine o'clock it's literally titled one and done ben simmons and it'll re-air after that so if you want to see the documentary that's tied to this and parish has a piece up and people have written things about it as well I'm going to watch it because it should be it should be interesting, even though Simmons is now an NBA commodity. Obviously, this is about his time at, at LSU. And I do want to note that um, this documentary was the idea of Simmons and his family. You know, is that was that a good idea going in? I, I don't really know. I'm going to have to see the documentary to get a full opinion on that. But in terms of Simmons's comments and him throwing things at the NCAA, there has been some backlash and critique over what he's saying. Because the fact of the matter is, Simmons did not have to go and play college basketball. Um, he, no one has to go and play college basketball. No one is mandated to play college basketball before you get to the NBA. You just simply cannot declare for the draft until you are either 19 years old, or 19 years old basically, or one year removed from your uh, high school graduation. It's an NBA rule. And I think most people now realize, whereas like five, seven years ago, GP, I think people didn't, whenever they talked about this, they seem to forget the fact that this rule is the NBA's doing. It's not the NCAA's doing whatsoever. Now I feel like most people realize that as part of the collective bargaining agreement with the NBA, oh, by the way, the new CBA has has basically been pushed through, and the one-and-done slash NBA age minimum rule is going to stay in place uh, for the foreseeable future uh, with the NBA. So this isn't going to change whatsoever um, Simmons's critiques also go beyond all of that. But the fact of the matter is, I think he has some cases here. Some of it's a little short-sighted. Again, let's remember, you know, he's a smart kid and he's he's certainly well-traveled, comes from Australia. Um, but I think he needs a little more of a, an overall worldview when it comes to some of the things he's discussing with the NCAA overall. I know you spoke with the filmmaker of the documentary, right? So what is your take on what Simmons has said and maybe one or two of the points that either are lost on him or maybe lost on some of the people that have written some stuff about what Simmons has said? So I watched the documentary and uh, earlier this week, and, and it's, it's certainly worth your time. It's 91 minutes, and it, it, it does sort of take you behind the curtain um, in a unique way, perhaps an unprecedented way, uh, about what it's like to – and shows you what it's like to be 
uh, the next great basketball thing in this era of college basketball. Uh, I have a bunch of thoughts on this. The first I would say is about that specific scene. It's it's interesting. The context, I don't know, has been reported uh, thoroughly. Uh, just that, that sort of quote has been bolded and, 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 and tweeted everywhere. The NCAA's really effed up. The context is that Ben Simmons is at, I think it's a Walmart, and he's buying betting and just like normal stuff for your apartment that you might. And he's checking out. He's got a debit card, and he swipes it, and the same way it does for any of us, it'll ask if you want cash back. And he's like, cash back, huh? I wish. I'd love to have cash back, but, like, I don't have any cash. And he's driving home, and they've got the cameras with him, of course, and, and he's just sort of talking. He's frustrated, clearly. And he says, like, I have maybe right now 40 or $50 in my checking account after what I just spent at the store buying sheets and pillows and stuff for my apartment. I have about 40 or 50 bucks. Now, by no means is this kid poor. Let's not overstate it. But his point is, he, he, he seems to be struggling with this very real dynamic, which is this. He's months away from signing a $20 million contract with Nike that he, he knows is coming from somewhere. Nike, Adidas, it's coming from somewhere. It's not an exaggeration at that moment for somebody to reasonably suggest this is a young person who is actually worth tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. And he has 40 or 50 bucks in his checking account. Meantime, he's seeing himself, you know, plastered on television, plastered on billboards, plastered on brochures, you know, er seemingly everybody making money off of Ben Simmons, except Ben Simmons, while he's got 40 or 50 bucks, according to him, in his checking account. So it's just a moment, really. I, I thought it was a a an honest moment of, of frustration. He's just frustrated by the situation that he's in. And so that's the context of that scene. Some other things that stood out. Um, boy, he didn't seem to have much of a relationship with his teammates at all. He didn't, he didn't, he, he appeared lonely. Um, and obviously this is, you know, a, a, a year of his life, really a couple years of his life, you know, cut down to, to 91 minutes. So I, I'm confident you could, I'm not a filmmaker, but I know that you can make it look however you want it to look. But, you know, I, I talked to, to one of the filmmakers and, you know, they, like it's an honest reflection. He insists, and I believe him, of, of what that process was like for Ben Simmons. And, and a couple of things you see. One, he seems incredibly lonely. There's never, you know, usually when you watch a documentary, like the main central character, they have a friend somewhere. They have a pal that's with them. There's somebody that keeps popping up in it. Um, like if you watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians, like that's Chloe's friend who's always with her, and that's Kim's friend who's always with her, and that's uh, Kendall's friend who's always whatever. Like these uh, these sort of um, characters uh, on the peripheral are just around. There's nobody like that in this except for his sister. There, he doesn't appear to have like a a great friend in the world uh, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He doesn't appear to have a good relationship at all with his teammates, which probably isn't surprising, but there's one seed that really stands out. Um, and after doing the research on it, I find out it's it's after a January game at Vanderbilt. I think it's the first SEC game. And, you know, LSU had been struggling a little bit. The, the criticism was already starting to pile up. And Ben went for something like 36 and 14. Like it was a massive game. And they won on the road at Memorial. And quite clearly, he was held behind the rest of the team to do an on-court television interview with whoever was broadcasting that game, ESPN, ESPN2, U, SEC Network, whatever. And so 
it cuts to a scene where the cameras are already in the locker room. His teammates are already in the locker room. They've already left the court. He's being held back to talk to, uh, you know, I, I don't know, Kaylee Hartung or whomever. And he enters the locker room and he's happy. He's got this big smile on his face and he's like, he, he walks in the locker room like he's ready to celebrate because he just had an um, unbelievable game on national television, victory on the road. And he is met with almost nothing. Like his teammate, like some of his teammates barely acknowledge that he has entered the locker room. And it's just so different from what we normally see. Like you and I, we've seen those scenes a million times. You know, guy enters the locker room or a coach enters the locker room after doing an on-court television interview. It's after a big win. He comes in. Everybody swarms in. They're jumping up and down. They're hollering. There's none of that. Like the only person who seemed to be happy for Ben Simmons in that moment was Ben Simmons. And I thought that was a remarkable glimpse uh, into what was going on with that LSU basketball team. Sort of what I wrote in the column that CBSSports.com is, uh, you don't need, uh, if you want to know what was wrong at LSU that particular season, you don't need to see anything other than that moment. That moment, to me, symbolized the issues at LSU. And when talking to the filmmaker, he acknowledged, because he was with them, you know, all the time. Yeah, there were definitely some team chemistry issues there. And so that was that was weird to see. Ben Simmons, who was, was arguably the most famous basketball player in the country, uh, college basketball player in the country last year, seemed to have no real friends on campus and didn't really seem to be tight with his teammates at all. Okay, uh, just a couple quick things here before we switch up topics. So I, I got a question, a, a couple thoughts. One, a thought, uh, maybe a rumination is, you know, the Simmons family wanted to do this documentary. Right. Uh, you would think they had to clear it with uh, a number of people at LSU, including Johnny Jones and whatnot. I wonder if that very thing might have alienated him from his teammates just a little bit because let's be honest, when you bring in an element of cameras, obviously that is going to alter a dynamic no matter how much you might think it not. These these documentaries can give you true, real glimpses into uh, the life of people and subjects and teams and whatnot. There's definitely an element of that there, but the other side of it, the other side of the prism is that there's no doubt about it that there could be members of that team that might have been made uncomfortable about that one with the cameras and two just Simmons entering the season being uh, his own (laughs) proprietary entity and his own thing and maybe that did not make things easy from the get-go that's a general question I have I think it probably played into it overall Um, two it's amazing how good Ben Simmons was at college basketball despite all these things that were going on like LSU had its serious issues, man. That team was such an underachiever. It should have coasted into the NCAA tournament. And for the most part, it was not Ben Simmons' fault that they did not get there. So all that told, it's incredible how good they were. And it's kind of a shame that he's injured right now. We're not getting to see him play NBA basketball right away. Third thing, and this is kind of a question for you, GP. The other thing was, didn't he mention, and this is, I'm just going based off of uh, – what I'd seen uh, one of the uh, ESPN.com stories about this uh, with uh, apparently a transcript. But does he allege that people offered him, uh, you know, cars, specifically a Bentley? If he does say that, what other information do we have regarding that? Because that's one of those very easy things that people will criticize colleges for, coaches and cheating, because, oh, yeah, we'll offer these guys cars. In reality, that's not something that you can do with with ease and get away with especially in the modern age it's not eric dickerson at smu in the in the early 80s so does he say that and if so do we have any sort of any sort of more information on that because that's you know that's a relatively serious 
uh, claim on his behalf that people are legitimately trying to offer him, you know, cars worth six figures and how that ties into him being on LSU's campus. He definitely says it. Um, there's no evidence that it actually happened. Nobody calls him a liar, but I talked to, again, one of the co-directors. The guy's name is Josh Swade, by the way, who is, uh, you know, he he's a Kansas basketball fan. Like, he was involved. You remember when they brought the, I know exactly who this is, yes. Um, yeah, so, like, I, I spent about 30 minutes on the phone with Josh, and he was terrific. And I asked him point blank, like, did you ever, like, you were there. Did you ever see anything like that? And he said, no, I never saw that firsthand, but it doesn't surprise me. Like one of the things, Ben, if I were guessing, I would guess that Ben was obviously offered all sorts of things um, and probably in that moment on film exaggerated a little bit. Um, like he, he says, some, you know, people offer me a house, you know, a car. Like you know, did somebody actually say, hey, do you want a house? I'd like to sign it over to you. Like I, I don't know if that actually happened, but – I think the focus on the words more than the point is probably missing the point. Like the the point Ben Simmons is making, and at one point he's in a like a Foot Locker or something, and you know they the people recognize him everywhere he goes. You know he's six foot ten and he's Ben Simmons, and they, you know he, he the point he's really making is that in this Foot Locker he's like I could walk out of here with anything I wanted. Like and they they would not charge me. Like they people lining up to give me anything I want. That's the point he's making, and nobody disputes that that is basically true. Whether somebody like genuinely and like literally offered a home or uh, a car, like I, there's no, that's certainly not in the film. And you know, Josh told me they never saw anything like that. Doesn't mean it didn't happen. They just never saw uh, anything like that. The other thing that's interesting is that what you see is a guy, and really this is what the whole thing. I think you'll you'll. You'll be entertained watching it through the 91 minutes, and you'll see a lot of interesting things, some of which we've already talked about. But at the end, you'll be left with, I I think, two questions. One, should people like Ben Simmons even be in school? And and two, um, if they are, should they really be held to the traditional definition of amateurism as it relates to the NCAA? And these are things that we've been debating forever. It didn't start with Ben Simmons. It won't end with Ben Simmons. Um, But what you see... Ben Simmons do is is go f- transform from someone who is like seemingly I- excited about the idea of being a college basketball player. He makes it clear this was never his dream. He grew up in Australia. He didn't grow up watching the Final Four. He never wanted to be, you know, uh, Miles Simon. You know what I'm saying? Like he he wanted to be you know, LeBron James, and and he he didn't have any dreams of cutting down nets on the first Monday of April. That's just not the way he was raised. So he makes it clear this is a stopgap for for what he's trying to do, for where he wants to be. But he does seem like excited. Like, I want to go somewhere, not like Duke, not like Kentucky, and try to carve out my own legacy. Prove that you don't have to go to a school like that to win big. And he like seems excited about that. And over the course of the season, you see him become super jaded by the entire system. And I thought that was interesting. He he acknowledged like at one point he's FaceTiming with his older sister and she's like, dude, are you ever in school? Like actually in school? And he's like, all I need, I'm paraphrasing here. He's like, all I need is a 1.8 GPA in the first semester. Then I'm eligible for the entire second semester. He's like, then I'm not going to go to school at all. And like the second semester, there's no evidence he ever went to a class. He was done attending classes and doing schoolwork middle of December at LSU. And uh, his 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 explanation is a, a, a completely practical one. I'm only doing two semesters of college. 
like maybe one day I'll come back and get my degree, but it ain't it ain't next year. And and so what am I really accomplishing by going to class? Feels like a waste of time. So what? I'll I'll, I'll leave LSU with 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 18 credit hours as opposed to 12 like who cares why does that matter to me at all and so i'm just not gonna go and he just didn't go and in that respect it's a it's a and, and he, he he becomes jaded by that and he becomes jaded by they're asking me to take these pictures to do these interviews like they're working me like i'm an employee and but i'm not getting paid everybody's making money around me but I'm not getting paid. And so he becomes jaded, super jaded by these two realities. And uh, it's a bad look for the NCAA because it, it, it is a kid just thumbing his nose at the system. Like, you know, for, and it doesn't mean all one and dones operate that way. Like I know Jalo Okafor was at Duke and, and was always planning to just be a one-year player, but like lived in a normal dorm with normal students and, and seem to enjoy his college experience. I know Kevin Durant speaks fondly about his one year at Texas. John Wall speaks fondly about his one year at Kentucky. Not all one and dones approach it this way, but Ben Simmons did. And if you want me to be honest, Ben Simmons approached it probably about the way I would, which is like, what am I, why am I getting up at eight o'clock and going to this class? Like I'm, I'm turning pro in two months, going to sign a $20 million contract, going to be the number one pick in the draft. I'm going to go study biology for an hour? Get out of here. Like, that's uh, like the 19-year-old version of me would have probably been way more like Ben Simmons than unlike Ben Simmons. And so if you're the NCAA, what do you do? Like, how do you – because there's no obvious fix to that problem. Like you've noted and everybody understands, it's an NBA rule. It's not an NCAA rule. And the only way the – and and the NBA doesn't care. Like, they know that the one and done isn't great for college basketball. They also do not care because it's better for them. So the NBA wants it. The Players Association doesn't care enough to fight against it. Like, they're not. this is not where they're going to pick a fight. So they just, it'll go on as it is. And if you're the NCAA, the only way to push back on it is to make freshmen ineligible. To say, you know what, NBA, change your rules. Because if you're just going to use our established system to further evaluate your prospects and, 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 and build their brands courtesy of us well we're not gonna let you do that anymore freshmen are ineligible so you cannot allow ben simmons to be in your draft and that's fine but he's not playing in our sport either obviously the ncaa is never going to do that but that would be the one obvious way to push back against the nba and try to bring about change but short of that what is the ncaa to do about the next ben simmons because if you don't want to go to class after middle of december you do not have to you can really do a couple you could really Enroll in school in August, be done with classes by middle of December, and and play an entire season of college basketball, and nobody can do anything about it. Yeah, just a few quick thoughts here because I know we. Got, I also want to hit on some uh, some of our All American teams and stuff. Uh, one, Ben Simmons was born July twentieth, nineteen ninety six. You have to be nineteen to enter, so he he missed the date by about three weeks. You know, if he was three weeks older, he goes. Uh, as a 19-year-old, he's eligible to be drafted, and he goes, and we never deal with this. But he falls into a, a window. Some of this is on Ben Simmons, it, it, just in terms of— By the way, I, I, I think it's actually—and we could look this up. I, I think you have to be 19 and one year removed from high school. I, uh, well, what about—yeah, no, but if you're an international kid, uh, you know, he, he their, their schools— Yeah, 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 he would have certainly had a, had a case. Yeah, their their school system isn't the same as America, so I think it's just 19 if you're an international that's kid. That's right. I think that's uh, right. Some of it, some of his disenchantments on him. I get that. Some of his points are valid. I get that. The NCAA, the only other thing that it could do, it's never going to make freshmen ineligible. Um, it and it, it damn well shouldn't. We covered that actually uh, some months back, just in terms of. Uh, I would I would threaten it if I were them. 
I would threaten. It's not, it's not bad. Or or you well one, it's going through this thing now where it's going to reward schools with better academic um, marks with more with more money. Um, that came out like a week ago, and that's good in theory, but really opens the door up to academic cheating even more. So the other thing is you could simply institute your own, uh, you know, make freshmen eligible or, or you just say, um, you know, it's, it's gotta be at least two years. Then you force the kids to go for a year and a half to actually go to college or you just don't go overall. We could be heading. I mean, the NCAA can't prevent a college player from dropping out of school after one year. Oh, they no, without a doubt, they can't. There's, there's no. So I, like, I agree. There's, so, like, yeah. even if the NCAA said, "Well, if you're gonna play college basketball, you got to do it for two years," they'd say, "Okay, I will." And then you just drop out of school. What are you gonna do? They can't do anything yeah. to you. The, no, there's not. What I think we're inevitably gonna head toward here um, is, I think the D League will get better. Not, I don't think it will be necessarily an option that truly, truly competes with college basketball. But uh, it wouldn't surprise me. We talked about this with Sam some months back as well. It, there is there is clearly um, situations here, and it's rare, by the way. Let's let's also remember that you know there are plenty of kids. Calipari likes to boast about how all of his one and dones go to class for both semesters, and their grade point averages and all that. And, and I get all that. So, but like but, in fairness, like it, those kids ain't hanging around Lex, Lexington till May. They they do no. I get they, that as well. They move to L.A. and work out and do online courses. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's, so there's so it's something. it's never quite as it's presented. Yeah, the, this is uh, this is one of those things where it's it's a problem without a perfect solution, and ultimately, one and done has helped college basketball because it brings in really, really, really talented players. Like th- there are going to be more than ten one and done players this year that are going to be fantastic. The sport is going to be better for it. Uh, does it make something of a farce of the experience? Yeah, it does. But that's the arrangement we have, and there is not. Listen, the genie is out of the bottle. We are so well past the era of kids going to school for three or four years. This is just, this is what the system is now. There's never going to be a perfect fix to it. And you're going to have situations like Ben Simmons on a semi-annual basis. And it's just going to be what it is. You can't, the rules are what they are. I mean, you're going to have two semesters. Some schools will have three semesters. And if you, if you just keep your grades up enough to remain eligible, that you can't stop it. You know, it just is what it is. GP. No. And, um, sort of where I conclude the column, is like, uh, uh, by the way, my opinions on this, I think, are well established. If you listen to this podcast or read my columns, I, I think high school players should be able to declare immediately for the NBA draft. Like, if you put me in charge while recognizing that's not going to happen, um, I understand why the NBA doesn't want that. Like, I totally get that. I, I'm not stupid when it comes to the NBA's point of view. Um, I'm just saying, if you put me in charge, I would say high school kids are eligible. They go if they want. And then, you know, the same way people never force Ben Simmons to go to college. Nobody forces an NBA franchise to take a high school player. You know, you don't have to if you don't want to. So if, if it were up to me, high school players would be allowed to go straight to the NBA if they wanted, to enter the NBA draft out of high school if they wanted. That way, a, 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 a truly elite talent or a mediocre talent, doesn't matter to me, would never spend an unwanted day on a college campus. Meantime, I also think that the NCAA should allow student-athletes to uh, profit off of their likeness in whatever way is possible. That that means that student-athletes would get whatever the market actually suggests they should get. And yes, it would lead to uh, some fans being uncomfortable knowing that the starting point guard at Kansas has signed a six-figure endorsement deal with a restaurant in Lawrence. But like everything else, we would, we would get over that at some point and whatever. 
Um, so that, like, put me in charge. That's what I would want. I'm not in charge. We ain't getting either of those things. So my conclusion is basically this. The, the elite talents who are comfortable going to college for a year and in, in a system that even they deem unfair uh, and, and enjoying the experience for whatever it is, and if nothing else, chalking it up to a brand-building exercise that could lend itself to a, a, a more lucrative shoe apparel deal, if you're comfortable with that, then go do it and enjoy it. If, on the other hand, you're not, uh, then be the guy who stands up and says, you know what, I think it's ridiculous that the NBA is unnecessarily making me, making me wait to enter the NBA draft. And I know that most people in my position just go to college because that's what the path, that's the most obvious path, but I'm not going to do it. I am not going to accept a scholarship that I don't value, and I'm not going to accept a cost of attendance stipend that is pennies relative to my actual worth. So I will spend the next year training alone and I'll enter the subsequent NBA draft. Um, and, and hopefully the, the next batch of, of elite players coming out of high school, follow my lead and we can force the NCAA and the NBA to reconsider their rules that we think aren't right. Like, and you know what? I'm, I'm, Dude, I would be so on board with that. I would also be on board with the kids saying, you know what? Yeah, it's kind of a messed up system, but I will, I'm will. i going to go to Kentucky and try to be an All-American and win a national championship. I'm fine with either one. Just do whichever one. Um, but the truth is, in these two options, Ben Simmons probably should have done the latter as opposed to the former. That's my main takeaway after watching that documentary is that Ben Simmons should never – like the. The documentary is called One and Done, and my main takeaway would be Ben Simmons should have never been a one and done. He should have done what I just explained as the second option. Point out that I I don't want any part of this. I think it's crazy that they're making me go to college and pretend to be a student, and everybody's going to make money off of me except for me. So I'm going to take whatever apparel deal I can get right now, train for the next year, and I'll see you at the 2016 NBA draft. I hope everybody else has fun playing college basketball, but it ain't for me. In hindsight... After watching that documentary, that seems to be what Ben Simmons should have done. Cool. I'm I'm looking forward to the documentary, and uh, yeah, should be uh, should be a pretty interesting watch. Now let's talk about current college basketball players, or sadly, uh, now technically also a former college basketball player. Yeah. Just rough news out of Arizona. Ray Smith, a third torn ACL, a third straight season-ending injury. He went down. I guess it was Tuesday night in an exhibition. And uh, subsequently announced that he's he's leaving the sport of basketball, just not going to put his body through this anymore. And um, it really is sad. This is a guy who's a five star prospect, like had in theory a, 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 a not only a, a Division one career ahead of him, but, but possibly an NBA career, and just robbed of it by such by one unfortunate uh, deal after another after another. And Sean Miller released a statement, the Arizona coach, saying that. Uh, his heart's never been broken for a player the way it's broken for this player right now. And uh, I don't know Ray Smith at all, but, I mean, like, wow. I mean, you could th- three torn ACLs, and now you're done with basketball, and you're only 19 years old? I mean, it really is just awful. Yeah, a couple thoughts on this. Um, one, three injuries in a 30-month span on ACLs is brutal. I mean, one ACL is is tough enough, and it kind of gives you a window into what Harry Giles has kind of gone through because he's dealt with two of them. Some people have taken this Ray Smith news as a chance to point out that Harry Giles really should reconsider 
not playing at all at Duke this year and going pro. There is some legitimacy to that, but um, I don't see a situation where Giles does that unless he encounters another significant injury. Um, I just I, I don't think he's that kind of person. I don't think he's got that mindset. Um, and I think Krzyzewski wants to set him up to succeed as much as he can because his draft stock has undeniably also taken a hit with the, with the news of his latest knee scope. He was previously seen as a number one overall pick. As for Smith, if there are any sharp-minded listeners who are really in tune with five-star prospects in the history of them over the past two or three decades, I don't know. I, was, I had to write the story the other night, Parrish. I don't know if there's ever been a five-star prospect that has, has happened in terms of injured so much they literally give up basketball before ever playing one game, uh, an actual regular season game in a uniform. Ray Smith was actually on the floor for Arizona's exhibition game early this week on Tuesday. And the scary omen was he apparently went down twice with right. like these ankle tweaks earlier in the game. The first time he left the court, went into the locker room, he returned to massive applause. I mean, this is this is like, you know something of a mini Greek college basketball tragedy, the way this has kind of happened. And no doubt about it, Sean Miller is um, pretty just heartbroken over it, as we all should be. I will point out that Smith seems to be a pretty mature kid, uh, good head on his shoulders. And, you know, if you if you simply just go to the story, you'll see his tweet, and you can uh, click through to his Twitter page. He had mentioned he had lost um, someone to a shooting that was close to him um, recently as well. So he, he certainly has perspective on this stuff. But it does stink. I mean, he, he is a five-star prospect with, who had uh, an NBA potential, M- potential NBA player. I mean, I talked to people who thought that he could grow into someone that would be an NBA prospect. Won't have that. And with Arizona now, I'll pivot this just a little bit, GP. Arizona in general, maybe we can talk about them and, and preview stuff as well. Arizona is now a team that I would put right next to Michigan State just in terms of having much more concern and uncertainty around their team uh, heading into the season than we thought even a month ago because you lose Smith. He would have been a pretty valuable piece if healthy. Uh, they have a role player that's suspended indefinitely because of an academic uh, issue, pretty much just you know not living up to what uh, he should be doing in the classroom. And then Alonzo Trier should be, if he plays, Arizona's most important player on offense. He would be, in my opinion, the guy that would lead the team in scoring he has not played yet. Um, the concerns over his eligibility are mounting. Uh, rumors are swirling. Sean Miller has not yet said one thing publicly about Trier's status. Arizona has one more exhibition game this weekend. We'll see if you know Miller will obviously be asked about it again. We'll see what he says. Uh, but this is certainly a, a major storyline with, within that conference, and I think on a national level, because we don't know when or if Trier is going to be back on the floor. I won't go into speaking specifically what um, some of the rumors are, but we can't avoid what's clear. I mean, Trier is a guy that we have ranked as a top 40 player in the sport, and we don't know if he's going to play or when he's going to play, and that has clearly become a factor for Arizona overall, wouldn't you say? Oh, undeniably. I mean, that, like if he's not eligible, that's two five-star recruits that Sean Miller thought he was going to feel like five-star players who Sean Miller thought he was going to have on this roster that aren't going to be on this roster. Not to mention Terrence Ferguson as well, right? So yeah. so that's like yeah, actually three. So there was a time, whether it was April, May, June, you know, let's just say on June 1st, Sean Miller could reasonably assume he was going to have Ray Smith, Terrence Ferguson, and Alonzo Trier. And now he might end up in a situation where he doesn't have any of them. Like good luck, like losing three five star guys from a, from the roster you thought you were gonna have 
heading into a season? Like, that's tough. I mean, does Arizona still be good? Like, they're not going to win 11 games. No, that's good. I mean, to me, Arizona without Trier is borderline top 25. Borderline. Yeah, but, like, still, like, they're not going to fall off the so-called map. But, like, yeah, like, who – like, take three five-star guys off Kentucky right now and see what they are. Take three five-star guys off Duke right now. See what they are. It, it hurts. And, like, it, like take Grayson Allen, uh, Harry Giles, and, I mean, I don't even care who. Like, even Frank Jackson. Frank, I mean. Frank Jackson, right. Take those three guys off Duke. Now what are we talking about Duke? Like, it, it matters. It hurts. Sure. It's, like, nobody can endure that. And so, like, Duke and, and, and Kentucky and, and perhaps Arizona are – better equipped than most to endure that but it's you don't you don't just do that without missing something and so uh it's an unfortunate development a lot of people thought at one point this could be the year arizona finally I, gets to a final four under sean miller I, but I, I, I was there man i was gonna put him in my final four for our preview but i'm but no longer yeah I, not not with all these losses yeah, without it, it, it would be you know we'll wait and see what happens with trier but just the uh, the loss of ferguson the loss of um ray smith uh, you know, make that obviously uh, less likely than it otherwise would have been. Uh, our CBS Sports All-American teams were published this week. The first team, Markel Fultz, Grayson Allen, Josh Hart, Josh Jackson, Dylan Brooks. Here's my question for you. Yeah. On that list, first team, who is most likely to fall short of those expectations? <sighs> Say them again. Markel Fultz, Grayson yep. Allen, Josh Hart, Josh Jackson, Dylan Brooks. Yeah, I mean, are you setting me up here right now? <laughs> no, why, why, why? I wouldn't. I'm not trying to. Because my 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 personal, uh, you know what? It's okay. The player that I think would be most likely to not be on the first team All American list at the end of the season, I will say Fultz. Okay, um, but Fultz is also going to be asked to do so much for Washington. How good will Washington be? A lot of times team success can dictate if you're a first-team All-American. That would be my number one. Sure. Hart would be my number two, but only because I think Hart is going to have a lot of support around him. He'll be a really, really good, valuable player. I just expect uh, – I mean, the team is – is they only lose Arch and Ochefu. They bring in the transfer from Fordham. I think Brunson will be good. I think uh, Mikhail Bridges is going to be awesome this year. So I could see a situation much like with Nigel Hayes at Wisconsin where Bronson and Ethan Happ are producing a lot. I could see Villanova having so much there that maybe Hart gets pushed down a little bit. I would guess that Allen, Hart, and Brooks are like kind of safe. Like They're already established. Like You know they can post big numbers, and you know they're um, – at least you think they're going to be on good teams. Like that's three top preseason top ten teams, and they've already proven to be the best players on their teams. You know, Grayson Allen has proven to be the best player at Duke. Uh, you know, like I guess Tatum could replace him, or or Giles could replace him. But like Grayson Allen is already ever, he's the leading returning scorer in the ACC for the preseason number one team. I don't think he's going to forget how to play basketball. I don't think Duke's going to be bad. Therefore, Grayson Allen seems like the safest pick to me, which is why he's our. Um, at least in my opinion, why he should be our CBS Sports preseason national player of the year. Like Josh Hart, same deal. He's the best player at Villanova last year. Why wouldn't he be the best player at Villanova this year? And if he is, and Villanova wins the Big East or is like like running around the top 10 in the country, which they should be, um, no reason to think he won't, the accolades won't follow him. Uh, Dylan Brooks, obviously off-season foot surgery, probably not going to be healthy to start the season. But as long as he's back in, you know, December, whenever, He's my pick for player of the year. Yeah, I think Brooks, as long as the foot thing is okay, out. Yeah, 
Despite, I just think, I, yeah, I, I think he's got a really good shot. So now we're talking about the freshman, which is, you you know, typically the biggest question marks, right? Because we can be completely right about him, like, like, like you know, Jalo Okafor heading into his freshman year, or completely wrong, like Scalabissier heading into his freshman year. Um, I, I think Fultz is going to be amazing. I do wonder if his team's going to be good enough. That said, Ben Simmons was a first-team All-American last year, and his team stunk, so we'll see. Um, but Fultz is – and then Josh Jackson – like, I'm not sure he's going to be the best player on his own team. Certainly the best prospect, but he might not be the best play, college maybe, player Maybe, maybe not. I know. I, I do think he's going to be. In Kansas, I mean, listen, the Big 12 will have good teams. I, I just don't see any team in Kansas's orbit, so they should win the Big that. 12 again, which means they'll be a two-seed at absolute worst. And if Jackson is the most productive all-around player on the team, which I do think will happen, like, don't get me wrong, their backcourt is really good, and Mason and Graham will more, I think, dictate the long-term success than Jackson, but I, I'm pretty comfortable with Jackson first team, but I get what you're saying because there is certainly an unknown element. Let's also remember that, uh, you know, Fultz is the, is the player that more people are thinking right now is in play for the number one overall pick. Jackson was the guy that competed with Harry Giles to be the number one overall prospect in this class. Right. And I like, and, and then there is like a little bit of an uneven history of, of five-star freshman flourishing at Kansas. At Kansas. Like, Andrew Wiggins was awesome. Joe LMB was awesome. Uh, you know, uh, Selby wasn't. Uh, Shig Diallo wasn't. And so it has been sort Cliff of hit Alexander, Cliff Alexander. Cliff Alexander. Number one wa- example forever. Yeah, wasn't. And so, um, it, listen, if you're asking me gun to head, I think Josh Jackson is going to be terrific. But, you know, I could envision a scenario where there's a bit of an adjustment and those upperclassmen guards tend to be the most important and best players at Kansas. And then Josh Jackson's, you know, the best NBA prospect by a wide margin. But I, I could just see that. And so um, I, I, the biggest question marks to me would probably be Fultz and, and Jackson. But I like them both. Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable with them both on the first team. I like that first team. I would have probably had Jason Tatum uh, instead of Josh Jackson, if only because I, I do think. Two so. guys on one team, though, man? Yeah, I You have no, Allen I, and Tatum. I got no problem with that. Wow. I just don't see. Okay, so some of this for me is also like you want to have a prediction. For example, like I'll just open up the listeners to some of our discussion. Like we at one point we were debating having Ivan Rab on the team as well. That would have made for three players out of the Pac-12 on the All-American first team. And there's just no shot of that happening. So it wasn't based like I like to have some of this based in like let's realistically try and get to the end of the season, picture who's going to be there, who the best players are, and then realize that there are like there's just no way there's you'd have to have three of of the top three draft picks. I mean, you're not going to have three Pac-12 players on the same team. So that's why we bump Rab. I just can't see a situation, even if Duke is amazing, where both Allen and Tatum are going to put their way on the first team. It could happen. Don't get me wrong, because I actually think, I did a little bit of research, GP, I think that this will be the first Duke team since Redick and Sheldon Williams. Uh, that was the last time two Duke players averaged above 18 a game. I think Allen and Tatum will both do that, so Tatum will be in the in the conversation. And he is on our second team, which we have, what, Monty Morris, Mello Trimble, Bam Adebayo at Kentucky, Tatum, and who is the fifth player? Is, Ivan Rapp. Is it? Okay, yeah. Um, let me ask you this. Has there been two first team all consensus first team all Americans from the same team in recent history? 
Man, the I don't know. The closest, first team consensus. The, I don't. I don't. The closest I could think of was 2010, but I don't think Demarcus Cousins was first team. I think John Wall, John Wall was. Demarcus Cousins wasn't. But I'd argue that Demarcus Cousins should have been. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's definitely an argument for it should have, but it's a matter of it hasn't happened. Would it happen? Right. Will it happen? Yeah. Uh, Tatum's definitely going to get his chances. Um, real quick, the third team. Dennis Smith, my pick for freshman of the year, uh, NC State freshman guard. Malik Monk is on the third team. Jerome Blossom game. Who's going to have? I think a fantastic year at Clemson. I don't think Clemson's going to break through the tournament, but he should be an all-around statistical stud. Usually if you're a fantastic player at a major conference and you're putting up huge numbers, and he'll have his chances against the ACC. I mean, that conference is loaded. I think it's very fair that we put Blossom game on the third team. I like that pick a lot. Nigel Hayes and then Thomas Bryant, our Big Ten player of the year pick. Hayes was to pick by the coaches in the league. We picked Bryant uh, ourselves as Big Ten preseason player of the year. So that's our third team overall. GP, when I was looking at this, I I felt, and I didn't want to be prisoner of the moment, but in tying in with our top 101 players list, it was not easy for me to narrow this down to three teams. Now, I understand by when we get later in the season, it's going to become more clear as guys are winning and putting up numbers. Uh, I think there will be a level of separation. But right now, because of the talent of the freshman class we have coming in and with the guys coming back that – are that have big time production i was surprised by what you had mentioned that there were so many guys to choose from because in my opinion there were about 10 or 12 candidates that didn't make any of our teams that i think you could make actual reasonable arguments to put them on the lists and yet the surprising thing is as you wrote alan is the only guy returning do i have this right Allen's the only guy coming back that was on any of the three end of season All American teams from last season. Right, and the, you know what? Like that crazy. sounds crazy, but it's it's actually common. Yeah, yeah. If you go back and look at every preseason All American team, there's like one. Or you go back and look at every postseason All American team. There's like they all turn pro. They just like they don't all, but they usually do. Like it's it's usually like I think last year it might have been like all three teams, every player from all three teams. Year before that, it's like twelve of the fifteen players. It's it's it is crazy that this is uh, that this is the way it is, but it, it's also common, it, and it's the biggest challenge for college basketball. I mean, the the truth is, like we we talk about this every week, we write about it every day. Um, the casual sports fan doesn't have any idea who these people are. You know, the casual sports fan enters every single season. Every college basketball season starts in the shadows of football and with mostly anonymous players. That's a problem. Yes, and just as a quick anecdote, because I was talking to my brother who follows, who frankly bets college basketball, follows it, and I was reading off our top uh, players in the sport. The only guys, and he's someone who I would say is a college basketball fan, okay? The only guys that he knew, I, I said, I, I gave him the name, and I said, tell me where they play. He knew Nigel Hayes. Mm -hmm. He knew Grayson Allen. He knew Harry Giles because just so much has been made about Giles. Um he knew one. He knew two more, I think, one or two more. Um, knew Dylan Brooks, which I was surprised by. Maybe that's because they got to the Elite Eight. Um, I bet you might. And he my, knew Josh Hart. He knew he knew who Josh Hart was, but that was it. Like he didn't know. He didn't know any of the freshmen coming in, which is somewhat to be expected. Because I'll be honest, I like college football, but on a in a given year, like and I watch college football. I can tell you maybe one amazing freshman coming in. So I don't think that's too uncommon. But, I mean, he had no idea who Monty Morris was. Um, oh, he knew Mellow Trimble. That was the other one. So he knew. But he didn't know Ivan Rabb. 
Uh, a lot of the dudes he just he didn't I, know, and I think he speaks you know to most college basketball fans. Dylan Brooks is a junior, so he's spent two years playing at the Division One level. Who is a consensus first team All American heading into this season, and is on a team that won the Pac-12 last year. And I could show a picture of Dylan Brooks to to a hundred people I bump into who consider themselves. I could walk into a sports bar anywhere in America outside of the state of Oregon today and show a picture of Dylan, Dylan Brooks to a hundred people. And 95 of them wouldn't have any idea who that is. Maybe 98. I think there is. I think there's something to that. But I also I've said this on the podcast before. I think that's true with a lot of sports and a lot of players overall. I think until eight days ago, if you walked in that same bar and showed people a, a picture of Addison Russell, I'm getting the Cubs in on this podcast. Yeah, but like it. we're not talking about Addison Russell isn't one of the top five players in the sport of baseball. Okay, so Mike Trout is. How many people would know who Mike Trout? What Mike Trout looks way like? Way more than the Dylan Brooks. Uh, with that, way more. Yeah, but he's yes. not for a guy who's a top five player in that sport. He's ridiculously anonymous, and well, he plays in the Greater Los Angeles area. Oh, so I no, mean, this I, isn't I, no, I, with college. I think Mike Trout is ridiculously anonymous relative to Kevin Durant, but Mike Trout relative to Dylan Brooks, that ain't even close. Like that, that is the main – everybody talks about all the issues facing college basketball. The biggest issue is that the season starts in the shadows of football with mostly anonymous players. That's the problem. Fair enough. The season will start with a couple of really good games, though. Uh, we'll get to that on next week's podcast overall. Can I just talk about my Cubs real quick here, man, before we wrap the podcast up? Of course you up? can. They won, they won the freaking World Series. I Shout saw out. it. I watched it. Uh, yeah, this just feels incredible. So I had to get it in because we talked – when the Mets were making their run last year, we got a few Mets things on the podcast – Man, it was a uh, shout out to all the Cubs fans listening to this podcast. I know we've got a number of them. A few of them actually requested that I bring it up on the podcast. So okay, I obliged okay. them. Okay, shout out to it, them. Uh, shout out to Devin Downey. That's that's right. I'm watching the parade right now. Madden's at the at the microphone as they're all coming in. Very envious that I'm not there. Although I will say this. Going and standing and watching a parade is something I would never want to do. I don't get quite the appeal of that unless you have like this incredible uh, perch on the on the side Dude, of the road. And you're it is sit. miserable, and I mean every parade. I mean the Macy's Thanksgiving parade. You ever done that? Hell no, man. I'm not doing that kind of stuff. I just don't get miserable. the appeal. I guess say you were there. But I don't know. Awful. I I've been to the Macy's Thanksgiving parade twice. You know, because I was up there for basketball stuff. Take the kids, and so it's yeah. like, hey, let's go because it's neat, right? You, at least you, the idea of it's neat. It is awful. That, 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 that thing looks fun on television, looks cool on television. In person, the balloons are tiny. <laughs> That's actually surprising. I wasn't aware of that. No, the balloons are like tiny, like, and it, it looks like nothing. Like, oh, that is – you never want to do that. Don't ever do that. Man, well, I tell you, I, I had a pretty – I went out and watched uh, with my mother who raised me as a Cubs fan – my youngest brother, who has grown into one recently, I don't want to say he's a bandwagon rider, but this has kind of come out of nowhere. Uh, a longtime buddy of mine who actually grew up in Chicago but lives in Connecticut met up with me and then a, a few other friends. They eventually, all but my buddy, left once the rain delay hit. Um, and I was about 30 minutes from home. We stuck it out at this bar. But I tell you, when that Rajay Davis two-run homer, it was, it was not a good moment for me. Because I, I will say, watching the game... I felt nervously comfortable from the Fowler home run on just because it, it seemed like they were going to be able to get there. And then that happened, uh, which happened after, you know, the Lester pitch, which allowed two runs to come in. Then Ross redeems himself the home run. It's uh, it's it's pretty cool. Um, 
it, it's a it's a pretty uh, amazing feeling. I will say that you know I've been a Cubs fan all my life, but I did not have the same pull to the team basically from like fifteen the the past fifteen years or so. And then obviously when they get better, you get more interested sure. and all that. Um, I was surprised by uh, how much I really got invested over the past like six weeks or so. And I did not initially, once they got to the series, like I was so happy with even getting to the world series. Uh, I, I was, I was okay if they were going to lose this. Where's that sounds like just breaking through. I was like, okay, if we have to take this step by step, don't get there again until next year or maybe in two years and win it, I can do that. But now having won it, it's, it's definitely really cool just to know that they won it at least once in my lifetime. And uh, the one bummer thing, it, like you've seen, like Wright Thompson had an amazing piece, and a lot of people have written some tremendous things. But it really is true that, like, so my mother's probably the most responsible person for making me a Cubs fan. And number two wouldn't be my dad; it would actually be my my uncle, who is uh, my mother's, you know, late brother. He died unexpectedly like three years ago, and you know, his widow, my aunt, still lives in that house, and there's so much. Uh, Chicago sports memorabilia like really just grew me into being a huge huge fan of Chicago sports and for him to not be able to see it it's it's certainly depressing on a certain level um, but it it's kind of speaks to the power of all that and when your team goes more than a century without winning it that's why there's a lot of earnestness and, and honesty when you see all these people that are so happy but people that they knew that they loved like just did not get to stick around and see it happen um, you know there's some there's a cathartic angle to that, I guess, but uh, but yeah, man, I've been on I've been on a high. I'm on like no sleep over the past two days because <laughs> we've had so much college basketball stuff to do as well. The season's almost here, but I wanted just to talk a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah, no, it's awesome. I would, like the interesting thing about the Cubs, besides you know they had not won it in, in a World Series in so long, like in most people's lifetime, is that because of WGN, like anybody yes. around my age, um, it doesn't matter where in this country you live. You either are a Cubs fan or you have good friends who are Cubs fans. Like that's just a fact. Like I, some of my best friends are diehard Cubs fans. One of my best friends, uh, uh, Mark McCleskey, who lives here in Memphis, has lived in Memphis his whole life, but grew up a Cubs fan because of WGN. Like he's a season ticket holder. He still lives in Memphis, but he he has season tickets at Wrigley, and he just goes up whenever he can. He sells the other ones on StubHub. He went to games three, four, and five at Wrigley. Then went to Game Seven in Cleveland. He's at the parade right now. Um, and so I yeah. was, I was just, and like, like paid like crazy thousands and thousands of dollars for tickets and, uh, to the postseason, And, um, you know, I just happy for him. Like, that's something that he had obviously never, even the day of game seven, I was talking to him and like, I, I, I countless friends who are diehard Cubs fans. And what was interesting was even about that day, um, I guess it was Tuesday or no, it was a Wednesday. Wednesday. They had. You, you had never had that day where you woke up and went, wow, the Cubs might, if the Cubs win tonight, they're yeah. world champions. Like you'd never had that day. Like I'm a Mets fan. I've had that day in my lifetime, long time ago, but, it, but I've had that day in my lifetime. Not only had you guys never had that day, you had started to think on some level, you might not ever get that day. Cause you, cause like your dad never got there. You know, uncle never got that day. You know what I'm saying? And so. Um, I was just like, like genuinely, I found myself emotionally invested. Um, a lot of people are saying that game, dude, that game, oh my gosh, it was so tense. Like it was, it was brutal. Like, 
a fun kind of brutal, but uh, it got really tense in, in some really weird spots. But that is really the best of it. Like, it is crazy on a certain level. When you really think about what sports is and what teams are and what they do to us and how we invest ourselves, it's crazy to me that, like, all right, so I cover college basketball. I went to a Division three school. I have no emotional ties, really, to any school whatsoever. And, like, that Villanova-Carolina game, getting to cover that, being in the building is so amazing. And I'm truly 100% able to live in the moment but not really have any sort of emotional investment on who wins either way. Did not care. It was amazing. And then with the Cubs, it's like I'm a different human being. And with the Bears, I'm a huge I'm – I'm an even bigger Bears fan than I'm a Cubs fan. And it's, it's just so interesting how we attach ourselves to these teams and have this civic pride. And it, it's – I don't know. It's really one of the more powerful things, and it's just uh, it's really cool. And to see, I mean, I'm watching right now that Jake Arrieta is like stepping up, you know, being introduced, and just they say six million. The Greater Chicago area has what like ten million, ten million people in it. Six million are attending this parade. It's just it's bonkers. It's wild, and the team is young, and it's really cool that's and really other, exciting that's, to see. That's the other thing. Like you, you're the favorites to do it again next year. Like this ain't going away. I know. I'm ready. I'm ready for everyone to start hating Cubs fans. That's fine. I'd well, rather be hated and win than just you know go another five decades and not win. I, win I had this conversation with my buddy Mark, who's the the, the, the Cubs fan, because when I went to the NLCS last year at Wrigley to see the Mets Cubs, I went with him, and like you know the Mets swept them, and he was depressed. And I said, listen, like you know, I I I, I get why you're down. Let's go get uh you know some some deep dish pizza, and we'll be fine. But uh, here's the truth. Like, I would rather have the Cubs roster going forward than the Mets roster going forward. I was saying this after last season because the Cubs, like those young bats, people don't forget how to hit. You got to remember, they did most of this without Schwarber this year. So, like, right. he's back in the middle of that lineup next year. Like, like those young bats ain't going away. And then you've got, you know, established, proven frontline pitchers. Like, I would rather be the Cubs than the Mets going forward because those bats don't go away. But the, the young, powerful arms, you just never know with them. And then, of course, like you saw what happened this year. Like every Mets pitcher got hurt, like every, and it was just like it was a disaster. Yeah. So like sure. this, the thing with the Cubs is it's good, like it'll you're gonna experience that long drought that you experience, but like you're technically the favorite to win it again next year, and then probably the year after that. Like there's really no ends in sight. It could become a little mini dynasty here. So um, I hope it doesn't. But uh, yeah, I know. But well, I can, real quick, we'll wrap I it up with this. Tie it back to college hoops. So in college basketball, who would be who would be the Cubs of college hoops? Would it be Northwestern because they've never they're the one major conference team that hasn't made it to the tournament? Would it have to be a team that's like still searching for a, an actual national title? Because I don't know if they're I was thinking about that earlier. I don't know if the Cubs have a real parallel at the college basketball level because Northwestern you could say that, and it's also there's the Chicago connection, but Northwestern doesn't have a, a massive national following. I don't know if they're really is one i think byu xavier and missouri are like three of the biggest teams that have never made a final four or, or won a national championship but i'm just trying to figure out what team that could possibly be uh, i don't think that it, if they made it to a final four could possibly uh, i guess there isn't an answer you know i don't i don't think there's i don't think i think i don't think that sounds like one of those things that somebody says you know what make a great blog post who's the cubs of college basketball and then you'd sit down and try to do it and you'd go this didn't really work. This doesn't. It doesn't really work. True. Fair enough. Man. All right. Well, we got a week a week to go to the season, so uh, I assume you're going to be traveling next Friday. So maybe we'll try and squeeze in the podcast before you leave, right? We will make it work. I'll be traveling next Thursday, flying to Baltimore to go to uh, Annapolis for the Veterans Classic at the U.S. Naval Academy. So um, I'll be flying on Thursday. Maybe we'll try to do something Wednesday. 
Sure. All right. Uh, remember, you can subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. It's the best way to get the latest episodes as quickly as possible. So please go do that. Thank you all for listening. The games will be here before you know it. We'll talk to you next week. Till then, take care.